church all right I, I know the theme of today's singing is stand up well for God's reading guess what we're going to do also we all going to stand for the reading of God's word God's word today is taken from the book of Galatians and we'll, uh, we will start at chapter 4 verses 21 to 31 so Galatians chapter 4 verses 21 31. I want to hear a hearty amen if you have gotten to the book of Galatians and in chapter 4 and looking at verse number 21. Amen? amen. Hallelujah. Alright, what I will ask, because this is, oh, praise God. What I will ask is that you all will join me in verse number 31, because that verse is a reflection of all of us. So verse uh, Galatians 4.21 starts, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are in allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Please join me in reading verse 31. So then, brethren, but of the free. Amen. Thank you. Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 21 as we continue our series in Abraham. We're just going to look at a few verses today in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 13. The message that I want to speak to you today is I entitle Discernment to Spiritual Danger from this passage of Scripture. Now, we all know of John Newton. And this famous pastor gave us one of the most famous hymns, if not the most famous hymn, in our Christian hymn book, and that is Amazing Grace. Many people know as well that John Newton was a slave trader before his conversion. But what many might not know is that even after he was saved, he remained in the slave trade for six years. So here he was, a believer, 
spending hours a day in prayer and the reading of God's Word on that slave ship, and under him were human souls in chains. We, we would honestly say, how could he not see the error of this? How could he be so blind? Newton reflected on that, and he said there were three factors that blinded him, even as a believer, to the slave trade. He said one was custom. This is what he was used to doing. Another was example. Others were doing it. And third was interest. He had an attachment to it. It was his livelihood. It was his income. So he didn't initially think that he should or that he even could give it up. And as we read our Bible, we sometimes see this In Bible characters, how could they be so blind to their behavior? So here we see Abraham. He took into his home Hagar as a handmaid, as a servant, had a child by her named Ishmael, and she continued living in their home as a concubine of some kind, as a second wife, if you will. We might wonder, how could Abraham be so blind to this? Perhaps those are the three reasons. He was used to it. Others were doing exactly what he was doing. And he had an emotional attachment, clearly to Ishmael, as well as maybe even to Hagar. And the reality is, we have things in our life that if we stop to reflect on, we would say, how can I do this as a Christian? How can I be so blind? So I ask you this question today. Are you blinded today by some behavior in your life that you're doing? Just because you're used to it. Because others are doing it and it's not that bad, it's so it seems. And you have an attachment to what you're doing. That's a challenge today, and that's our challenge as we read this passage of Scripture. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 21. I'd like to read verses 8 through 13, and I have good news for you. You can be seated. Okay? Okay. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking Wherefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And can you please read verse 13 with me? And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, please use your word today and really deeply challenge us to be discerning towards spiritual dangers in our life. 
Maybe things that we have become accustomed to. Maybe things that we don't think are that dangerous because other people are doing it. But Lord, help us to be quite discerning. And help us to be, as Sarah and Abraham show us to be in this passage of Scripture, so we can truly cut away those things in our life that are, are, are dangerous and that hinder our spiritual growth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have all sinned, haven't we? <laughs> and sin does one thing for all of us. It makes a mess of our lives. And we wonder sometimes when we get so attached to a sin, and we wonder, how can I change? You know, how can I stop doing this particular thing? God, in our spiritual life, if we're going to grow, is going to ask us to do things that to us are painful. And, Lord, how do you expect me to do this? That's really what Abraham is faced with. When he is now being asked to sever his son Ishmael and Ishmael's mother Hagar from his household. This seemed impossible. It was a painful thing for Abraham to do. It was against his natural desires. But God wanted him to do it. To grow as a true believer. God wants us all to grow. And what we see here as well is that Sarah... God put Sarah in Abraham's life to discern this situation for him and to help him see the matter. And she alertly tells Abraham even how to deal with this problem. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Now, you know how that hit Abraham? Like a ton of bricks. Cast out my son? That just seemed way overboard. But it wasn't. God wanted Abraham and Sarah to be discerning towards this spiritual danger. And it was a spiritual danger for Isaac to be living side by side with Ishmael. And it was a spiritual danger for Abraham. It was a spiritual danger for us, ultimately, and our salvation through Jesus Christ. Because remember, all this relates to who? All this relates to Jesus. Because Isaac is the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of who? Jesus Christ. Never forget it. So, it is vital for us to be discerning towards spiritual dangers that threaten our faith. And there's three, four things in this passage of Scripture that I see in each of these verses that we must also do as Sarah and Abraham themselves did. We need this discernment. How can we have this discernment towards spiritual danger? So, the first thing I see is, we must maintain a what? A sensitive spirit to the dangers. And that's in verse number 9. See what I'm saying here. Look at verse 9. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. So I'm saying we have to be, be sensitive in our spirit to the danger. Who's sensitive to the danger here? Sarah. How is she sensitive? What, what goes on? What, is she, what happens? She what, what does she, she, what does she do? She what? She, she sees something. She sees something. So, to be sensitive, we have to have our eyes open. Open your eyes to what's going on. To reality. And Sarah sees something that is a danger 
to her son, Isaac, and to him being the inheritor of the promise that God has made to Abraham. And what does she see? She sees Ishmael doing what? Mocking. Do you see that? So she is sensitive. So this is a special family gathering. They're celebrating Isaac's survival of infancy because so many children died in infancy. Now he's getting off of his mother's milk. They're weaning him to adult food. And so it's a first step in that sense. And Sarah, on this great feast day of celebration, sees Isaac being mocked by Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is about 14 years old. And this word mock, it's used in different ways, but in this context, Ishmael is mocking with a hostility toward Isaac. And that is proved in the Scripture. In a number of ways, sometimes the word is used with this kind of hostility. We see it when the Philistines, remember how they blinded Samson? And he was grinding, and then to make a mockery of him, they put him between the two posts there of their pagan God. And there it says they were joking and sporting with Samson. It says he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. That word sport is the same word here for mocking. So they were mocking Samson. They were mocking Isaac. And this word, is used in the New Testament in the passage that we read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 29. And it's clearly in the context of hostility. Because Paul says, as then he that was born after the flesh, which is who? Who was born after the flesh? Ishmael persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. So Paul even says that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. So there's definitely... A hostility in what's going on here. And Sarah sees it. Sarah is sensitive. Maybe if Ishmael stays in the home, he will, he will, he will bump off Isaac. Because he'll know that Isaac could be the inheritor and Ishmael wants to maybe be the inheritor. I don't know. Maybe she sees a, a danger for life itself for Isaac. But clearly she's concerned that Ishmael, being the firstborn son, will think that he should be the heir, as it says in verse 10. He shall not be heir with my son. So we must have a sensitive spirit to the dangers around us, as Sarah herself does. Now, just by way general, and we're going to look more into this in a moment, but Ishmael, of course, when we see this story, we have to see Ishmael came by the way of what? How was Ishmael born? Because of the human wisdom. Remember of Sarah back in Genesis chapter 16. They were forcing, they were hurrying God's plan. And, it, and Ishmael represents the way of the flesh. Because Abraham wanted a, wanted a son. Wanted somebody to inherit those promises that God was making to him. And they said, okay, have a son through Hagar. But that wasn't God's way. So Ishmael came by the way of human wisdom, the way of the flesh. Isaac, on the other hand, came by the Word of God. He came through their waiting on God and the way of faith in God's promise. God's plan is often worked out through time and our waiting. And remember this. And this actually blessed my heart to think, and you know this, you know this. 
How many years is like one day to God? A thousand. So you think you've been waiting for a husband or a wife or an answer to prayer for five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty years? How long of the time is that for God? <laughs> you know, that's amazing. One, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. And so sometimes we get so impatient, we try to push our way. But here we see this great man of God. Think of Abraham. This man that God has chosen of all the people on the earth to fulfill His plan to bring the Son of promise into the world who will crush Satan's head, who will deliver the world of the curse of sin and bring salvation to us all. And yet this man's house was pretty messed up. So here's an ancient family, but it seems pretty modern, doesn't it? A blended home. A man with a wife that he loves, a son that, that she's born now, but he's got other children out there, you know? He has children through other women. And by the way, that other woman is like living in the tent next door. So this is one of you, you we call it today a, a blended family, and there's always challenges with this. But we see even in Abraham's home, and no matter what has gone on in your home, there's no perfect home. We're all sinners. And there's always something to matter in each of our homes. So we have to be alert to the spiritual dangers. Maintain a sensitive spirit to the dangers that are all around us. So I ask you this question. Here was Ishmael, it says, mocking Isaac. And I ask myself this question. What is in your home? What is in my home that mocks God's Word, God's Son, the things of God? What is in your life that is, a, is mocking and is not consistent with your spiritual walk? Something we should all really think about. Is it the music? Is music you're listening to literally blaspheming and cursing God? Cut it off and cast it out. What about what you're reading? Are you reading romance novels that glorify adultery? Stop reading that kind of stuff. What are you watching on the internet? And you know and you're under conviction about it. Cut it off. If you can't control it, throw the thing out. Throw out the machine. You say, well, I can't do that. Everybody has one. Everybody has a cell phone. You see, that's going back to those three things I said. Out of example. Everybody's doing it out of custom. This is the way I do it. Out of personal interest. I'm attached to it. You see, we have to be sensitive to the dangers. We need revival. God's people, we, me, you, us, we need revival. And we're never going to have revival if we're allowing the things in, things in our life that mock our God. Christians, I think many times we are satisfied with a low level of spirituality. And one of the reasons that often happens is because we're comparing ourselves with the world. And we say, well, I'm a little better than what they're doing out there. The, what's the problem with that? We're not supposed to compare ourselves to the world. We're supposed to compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to His standard is, be holy for I am holy. 
And so our standard is Christ and the Word of God. And so let us confess our sins and truly remove those things in our lives that are mocking God. The second thing I want to see is to take strong action against these dangers. Now, this, in verse number 10, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. I've mentioned that. And we're going to go into Galatians 4 in just a moment, but that's strong action. There can be no coexistence between Ishmael and Isaac. And this is going to have a huge consequence in the history of Israel and the descendants of Ishmael. So this decision that they're making now, the world is living in a sense with this consequence to this day. But Abraham is to refuse any compromise with the mockery of this world that would be against the purpose and the plan of God. Cast it out. Now, is that difficult? Yes. Is it heartless? Actually, no. It may seem heartless, but it is not. It is because God has a heart for His eternal plan. So Sarah perceives this threat, and she recognizes that a total and complete separation must occur. Cast out is a strong word. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. I emphasize that again. And this same word is used when God cast out or drove out Adam and Eve out of where? The Garden of Eden. And they were completely separated. A complete separation so that that there was even an angel with, with a flaming sword keeping Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. God drove out the man Tough? Yes. Heartless? No. For man's good. I think of the life of Jesus. Remember when Jairus' daughter died? And when Jesus arrived, there were all kinds of mourners in the house. And Jesus said, weep not. The damsel is not dead. Remember that? And what did they say to Jesus? They started laughing at him and mocking him. You know what Jesus said? Out! (laughs) Get out of the house! (laughs) He cast out the mockers from the house. He took control of the situation, cast out the mockers, and He only allowed His three inner disciples, Peter, James, and John, in, and He raised up that young girl from the dead. So when you make that separation of the evil things, you see the Lord work, even bringing life from death. Now go to Galatians chapter 4, please. I just want to walk through this passage. It was read today. And actually, Galatians 4, and the reason why I'm taking time with just one message in these few verses in Genesis is they're quoted. There's more verses in Galatians 4 than about the, it, 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 telling, this, telling about what it's about than there are in, in Genesis 21. And there, Genesis 21 is quoted in other places as well. Maybe we'll get a chance to look at them. But the few verses that we're looking at today have a lot of New Testament implications. So I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this. What is the New Testament application for us 
to cast out that Paul gives to us in Galatians 4. What are we to cast out? All of us as New Testament believers. Because Paul says, from this story of Genesis, he said it's like an allegory. He says it is an allegory. That is, this is a true historical story. It really happened. But there's a spiritual application and a figurative meaning to it. So let's just look at this passage. Look at verse 21. And, And I've kind of outlined it for you up here. We see two sons. Actually, verse 22, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The two sons, of course, were Ishmael and Isaac. Now, Ishmael represents the old nature, the old carnal nature. He was born after the flesh, it says. And Isaac represents the new nature. He was born by promise, born after the Spirit. So these two sons. And then we see also two mothers in verse number 22, where he says the one was a bondmaid and the other a free woman. So who was the bondmaid? That would be Hagar. And the free woman was Sarah. So there's two mothers. One was, if you will, a slave and the other was free. And then he says that there were two two births. And one was born, verse 23, after the flesh. And he that was of the free woman was, if you will, born by a promise. So one was born after the flesh, human scheming and reasoning. The other by waiting on God, by the promise of God. So we have two sons, two mothers, two birds. Now look what he's saying in verse 24. There are two what? Two covenants. And that word covenant, you could read testament. It's the same word. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. Well, now this is going to get deep. Two testaments. You have a Bible in your hand. It has two sections in it. What are the two sections? The Old Testament and the New Testament. So Paul says there's an analogy here between Hagar and Sarah. Hagar represents what? The Old Testament. And Sarah represents the New Testament. Huh. He says there's a, there's a spiritual allegory here. And he's bringing us to this application. Then he says there are two Jerusalems. As you look down into verse number 25 and 26. He talks about Hagar answers to Jerusalem, which now is... So what Jerusalem is that? That's the earthly Jerusalem where they had a temple where they were offering sacrifices. Now, they were offering sacrifices at that temple and guess what? Did they have to? When Paul's writing this, did they have to? They were still living under the law. Should they have been? No. Why? Because Jesus Christ had come. Jesus Christ had come and offered the perfect sacrifice of Himself. The Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world has come. But they're still living under the law as if Jesus had never come. So he says, amazingly, that the Jewish people who were still keeping the law in his day were like Ishmael. And he says the Gentiles, which had believed in Jesus Christ, were like who? Isaac! (laughs) 
Because all of us must be born again, Jew or Gentile. Nobody's saved based on their ethnic background. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And so he says there's two Jerusalems. One is the earthly Jerusalem where people are still in slavery to the what? Law. They're, they're Hagar's. They're slaves. And then there's the heavenly Jerusalem. There's, he says the Jerusalem. I love this in verse 26. It took me a long time to understand this, but I think I have, I have a better understanding. Not complete, but it says verse 26. But the Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. The Jerusalem which is above, where's, where's above? Heaven. And it's free. And when you're in heaven, are you under a law? We're going to be free from sin in heaven. We're not going to be under the law, the law of Moses. We're not going to be under any laws. We're going, to, we're going to be able to see Jesus without any sin upon us. The curse will be gone. We're going to be, we, because of our forgiveness and our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's our home. Heaven is our home. We're just passing through this place. This is just for a brief time. Heaven is where Jesus is now preparing a place for us. So there's two testaments. What side are you on? What Jerusalem are you living for? Earthly Jerusalem or heavenly? So now, as Paul walks through it, he's saying, this is what we need to do as Christians. Look what he says. He says, because we're not children like Ishmael. We're not born according to the law. He says, we're, we're as Isaac. We're the children of promise, verse 28. And then he says again in verse 29, we just quoted that verse earlier, because what does the world always do against the truth? And we are seeing this now more than ever. With all the tyranny that is upon us in the world, there's tyranny throughout the world that I believe it's ultimately bringing great destruction. They want to, ultimately, they're coming for the church. They're coming for us. They're coming. They just can't come right all at once. But the world persecutes the people of God. Verse 29. That's the way it always has been and will be. Throughout the, even through the tribulation until Jesus comes. Those who are born after the flesh persecute the ones who are born after the Spirit, even as it is now. Nevertheless, now, here we come to our text. In Genesis 21, verse 30, he says, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Do what? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Question. Now, here's the question. See if you've been listening. What's the application? What are we supposed to cast out based on everything Paul has just said? Cast out what? The Mosaic law. Because we're not under it. Now, I didn't say take it out of your Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And if I did a series from the book of Leviticus, we could all say amen. Because there's application in the book of Leviticus for us, but we're not under the Levitical laws. We're not under the Mosaic laws of priesthood and sacrifices. We're not under any part of the Mosaic law. So when he says, cast out the bondwoman, he says to us what the bondwoman represents. What does she represent? The Old Covenant. Fully embrace 
the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Now, well, what do I mean by that? I'm not saying that we have freedom to sin in any way. No, we're under a higher law. But we are free from having any thought that what we do merits favor with God. We're free. We have to free ourselves from any kind of, and I'm going to use this term and I'll explain it, legalistic thinking that based on what I do and my performance will earn me grace with God. That my works will save me. Free yourself of that. Cast out any thought to the otherwise. I believe is what Paul is saying. We're saved by grace. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Is there anything you think you must do in order to be saved? Because Paul was writing in Galatians, they thought they had to do things, right? Keep the Sabbath, get circumcised. Is there anything you think you must do to add to what Jesus already did to save you? To, so you can have forgiveness and full, a full and free relationship with Jesus. Is there anything you think you have to do? If, that, if there is, cast it out of your thinking because I have good news for you. For you to have a relationship with Jesus where you can come into His presence and talk with Him and walk with Him, it is by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. Trust in Jesus alone. The next question I want to ask you is, is Christ's work all sufficient to save you? And you ask some people, and even I've had this conversation with Roman Catholics. But Roman Catholics have this idea that Jesus, it's, he's like ivory soap. He gets you 99% clean. <laughs> but not 100%. So that extra percent, you actually have to work toward going to heaven. And guess what? Most Catholics don't even do that very well. So when they die, guess where they have to go? They go to purgatory. Why? Because there they have to suffer for their sins. So if you have to suffer for your sins, what are you saying? Jesus did not pay it all. So what do we sing? Jesus paid it all. Or do we sing, Jesus almost paid it all. No! He didn't almost pay it all. He did pay it all. So, what's the answer to this? Yes. And if you think you must add something to Christ's work to save yourself... Cast it all out of your thinking. Cast out that slavery. You're just going to be enslaved to, to that work that you think you have to do. Because you know what? If there's even one work that you think you must do in order to please God and gain His favor, you're going to mess that one thing up. And you're going to live in guilt. <laughs> think about it, right? The third question I want to ask is, is there something you think you must do to earn or gain God's love? Or to make Him love you more? Now that's a question. Do you think God loves you just the way you are by faith in Jesus Christ? Do you think God loves you? Or do you think, well, I have to go to church today. If I go to church even, coming to church is an important thing. But we don't come to church so God will love us more. We don't read our Bible. Oh, I, want, I will read my Bible today because I want the Lord to love me more. Is that your thinking? If so, cast it out. Because there's nothing we can do that will make Jesus love us more. He already loves you with an everlasting love. He already loves you with an infinite love. 
He demonstrated His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed His love for us on the cross when He spread out His arms and had the nail to die. He needs to do nothing more to show His love, even though He does. But I'm saying this, that God's love is not based on our performance. And that's, I believe, what Paul is saying when he says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Cast out that wrong thinking. And it's really a form, all of this is a form of legalism. And when I say legalism, I'm saying any attempt to gain God's favor or to get or to be in a right relationship with God based on your works, whether it's the keeping of the law or whether it's some aspect of of work that you must do. Now, are we to do good works as Christians? Yes. But I'm saying, yes, of course we do good works. But those works are because of the grace of God at work in our life. It's not to gain His love. It's not to gain His favor. He already has given us favor. He already loves us. That's what I'm saying. Work, yes. Come to church, yes. Read your Bible, yes. Pray, yes. Share the Gospel, yes. Because He loves you. That's why we're doing it. Amen? Amen. So legalism is any attempt to gain God's favor, get in a right relationship with Him through your own works or performance. And it's, it's stated in many of Paul's epistles, and I just have a few verses here in Galatians 2.16, we're not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was writing to those in Galatia who thought they were would be, and you know what justified it means, to declare, be declared righteous in God's sight. So that God looks at you as innocent, as just as if you've never sinned. What has to happen? Is it through your works? No, it's through the work of Jesus and your faith in Jesus. How are we saved? By grace. Unmerited favor. Through faith. Simple resting, trusting in Christ. We're justified not by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in His sight. Romans 3.28, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The third thing I want to say, and I'll move quickly, is we must overcome stinging pain in dealing with danger. Because in a sense, it's going to hurt. It's going to affect your spirit to fully surrender to God. Things are going to change in your life when you surrender to God. For Abraham, for him to make this surrender, and he's surrendering to the unknown, he's like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but he's going to cast out Ishmael and Isaac. And you just think about how God is leading Abraham. This chapter, he has to cast out Ishmael, Ishmael and Hagar, I'm sorry, Ishmael. He has to cast out Ishmael. In a couple chapters, God's going to ask him to do what? Sacrifice Isaac. See, God just takes us one step at a time. (laughs) But we have to overcome stinging pain in dealing with danger. And what I mean by that is that sin complicates life and leads to unexpected sorrows, tensions, and difficult decisions. See, so going back to Galatia, uh, going back to Genesis, please, go back to Genesis 21. There's a word I want us to focus in on now on this particular point. 
and it's a short verse, it's verse 11, where, so after Sarah says, cast out this bondwoman, do you think Abraham said, you know, Sarah, that's, I was thinking that very same thing. We are simpatico, we're on the same page. Woo, great idea. Is that what he said? He's like, there's a word here. You should focus on it. Look at what it says. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. He was attached to Ishmael. It was his firstborn son. He was 14 years old. He was a boy who needed his dad, Abraham probably thought. How can I do this? This was a heart-wrenching decision for Abraham. Literally, when it says it grieved him, it broke him to pieces. To read it that way. It broke him to pieces. Another way to read that, grieved, he, was, he wanted to explode in frustration. Over who? <laughs> Sarah. Cast out the bondwoman. He wanted to explode. That, this is frustrating to him. This word displeased is actually used in Genesis 38, verse 10. God was displeased with somebody. You know what he did to him? Killed him. It's kind of a weird story, but it was, I think, Onan in the Judah story. But God was displeased, and he slew the person he was displeased with. Genesis 38, 10. So Abraham is displeased. He's angry. He's broken. He's frustrated. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever been frustrated? And you just want to explode? You're all looking at me so holy. and It's like, I'm the only one? Come on, man, help me out. You, you. Abraham is dealing with the haunting price and the predicament of his own polygamy and his sin. And when you sin, things get complicated. Life is complicated enough. You know, praise God, I got married December 19th, 1981. I've been married one time. I've been faithful to my wife. My wife has been faithful to me by the grace of God. We have three children. I don't have any other children out there. You know, there's no, no nothing's out there uh, by the grace of God. But you know, not everybody has that. And, and what I'm saying is, that's hard enough. That's hard enough. <laughs> To, to work through marriage and the complications of marriage, to have children and to bring up children, it's difficult. But then if I had a previous marriage and previous children, and, and if my wife had a previous marriage and going through a divorce and other children, and, and then you come together, and you, that makes it even more difficult. I'm not saying this to discourage you. I'm saying that's the reality. Life is difficult, but sin makes it more difficult. So don't sin. <laughs> and what Abraham is dealing with is this. When you sin, there's no easy solution to the problem. Only hard solutions. This is a hard solution. To sever his relationship with Ishmael. Is that easy or hard? It's hard. Heart-wrenching. It broke him to pieces. Oh yeah, displeased, broken, exploding. Frustrated, stinging pain. It grieved him. He has to overcome that. You have to overcome that. You feel that? That's not a reason not to obey God. Abraham was broken about this. Now what is he going to do? He has to follow sovereign wisdom. Now Abraham, if Abraham were me, I'm going to kind of, as I close here, I'm going to give you a 
kind of a, a test, a, a communication test. I think you, you ladies are going to really love this. Okay, so don't, don't lose me. I'm going to give you a, a test of our communication and how we communicate with one another. But if I were Abraham, what would I have been thinking? If you were Abraham, what would you have been th- This is what I would have been thinking. You're telling me to cast out my son and Hagar? I listened to you one time in the before. I just one time I listened to you. And that was enough. No, just, <laughs> and look at the mess our lives have been. You're the one who told me to take Hagar in the first place. And now you're telling me to get rid of him. And so Abraham could be thinking of this. So now what does he have to do? Because husbands, Abraham, I'll tell, I'll tell this to Abraham. Abraham, where's the ball? As they say, it's in his court. Right? The ball's in your court. In other words, Sarah has said cast out the bondwoman. But who has to make the decision? Abraham. Ball's in his court. So what is he going to do? He has to, so what Abraham has to do is get God's mind. What, this is what Sarah told him to do. So I believe Abraham is really weighing, should I follow Sarah's counsel? Now, should Abraham just blanket listen to what Sarah is saying? Now, wives, don't answer this. Should Abraham just blanket follow whatever Sarah is saying? Say, yes, dear. No. <laughs> he has to go where to find out if he should do this. Go to God. So, husbands, if your wife asks you to do something hard, it's like every other day. I'm saying this in love. I have a great wife. But sometimes we react to when our wives ask us to do stuff. We need to pray about it. And don't just respond and react, which we're prone to do. Okay, I'm prone to. We need to pray about it. Go to God and get God's mind and go to God's Word. He needs to follow not Sarah, but God's wisdom. Sovereign wisdom against the dangers. So make sure that you're true to God's Word and realize that obedience to God does not and may not come naturally to your flesh. So Abraham waits on God. We don't know how long, but maybe it was that night. The Lord came to Abraham and He said to him in verse 12, look at verse 12, it says, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad. In other words, don't be broken in pieces. Because of thy bondwoman, because of Hagar, and all that Sarah hath said unto thee, do what? What is Abraham supposed to do? Now, men, listen to this. What does God tell Abraham? He says, hearken unto her voice. Wives, you should definitely underline that. It said, God is telling Abraham, listen to your wife. Good counsel for men. Men, you've got to listen to your wife. You're living with her. If you don't listen, it's not going to be good. Hearken to her. And he says, For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. We won't have time to look it up, but that is cited in Romans chapter 9, verse 7, and Hebrews chapter 11. That phrase right there. In Isaac, not Ishmael, shall, shall thy seed be called. And he says, And also of the son of the bondmaid, a woman, will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And so God is telling Abraham, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. He had already told him that back in chapter 17, I think. 
I'm going to take care of Ishmael, and God reiterates that promise. So don't worry about Ishmael. He's, he's a growing boy. He's strong, a 14-year-old boy. He can work, and he can, he'll make it in the world, is what the Lord is telling Abraham. But that phrase, hearken unto her voice, hearken to Sarah, That word hearken literally means to hear her with attention and interest. Be interested. Pay attention to what she is saying. And it is a good thing for a man to listen to his wife in that way. To pay attention and listen with interest. Now, this is just a little, kind of a little exercise I thought of as far as how do we listen to our wives, especially for you men who are married. How do you listen to your wives? Here's what Abraham could have said. Now, how would you label these responses if Abraham had said something like this to Sarah? And again, this is hypothetical. I'm just kind of putting myself there. I'm thinking about what could Abraham had said to Sarah? Something I would have probably thought of to say. (laughs) And then label the way Abraham is listening if he said it this way. So, if Abraham said, Oh, Sarah... You want me to cast out Ishmael? He's, he's no threat to our son. You heard him mocking? He wasn't mocking. Ishmael wasn't mocking Isaac. It's not that bad what he was doing. He could have said something like that. You saw him mocking? You saw Ishmael mocking? I didn't see it. I was there. So is Abraham really listening if he says that? Now, how do you label that kind of response? Exactly. Good job. The ladies know. The ladies will know. He was minimizing the reality. Because what Sarah saw was true, if he said that, again, I'm not saying that he did, but if he responded in that way, he would be minimizing. And often, we husbands, we say, oh, I'm listening to what you're saying. But when we minimize our wives and what they're saying, like, it wasn't that way at all. We're not listening. Okay. Here's another. This is an exercise. You men love this, I know. It's like going to the dentist. (laughs) What if Abraham said, you shouldn't feel that way. The way you're feeling? No. Don't feel that way. You're paranoid. You're just paranoid of my stepson. You're you're paranoid of, of Hagar. I love you, Sarah. You shouldn't feel that way. You're just paranoid. What is he doing? How's, how's that for listening? Okay, disregarding. Disregarding, and that, that's a good word. I put invalidate, same idea. He would be invalidating. So men, I have good, good counsel for you in your marriage. When your wife says something, don't say, you shouldn't feel that way. That's invalidating. Don't invalidate. Women, help me out here. <laughs> Let me hear a good amen from you ladies. Am I right, ladies? When, when your wife speaks... Don't invalidate what she's saying. My wife said it. My wife said it. I heard her. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. If Abraham had said, You're crazy. You're jealous. You're a jealous, crazy woman. Abraham's under attack. So what is he going to do? You're cruel. What kind of cruel idea do you have? What if he... He didn't say that. But what if he did? Some, some men do talk like that to their wife. So, Abraham feels under attack. So, what's his response? To do what? 
counterattack. That's it. You're backed up into the corner. She's got her blades out. She's like, woo, woo. And you're like, whoa, 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 you know. Easy, easy, dear wife. I love you so much, you know. <laughs> and you want to get your sword out and fight your way out of the corner. No, just listen. What you do, you just take it and listen and say, I understand. I understand that you feel that way. I'm sorry. Let's pray about it. But don't counterattack. And the last one is, Sarah, how dare you tell me what to do? Don't you know I'm the head of this house? Don't tell me what to do. You want me to cast out somebody? I'll cast you out. I'll divorce you. You know, those words fly. In marriage, don't ever say you're going to divorce your spouse. That's just, what, what, what kind of attitude would that be? What kind of communication? How's, how would Abraham be listening? He's not listening if he said that. I'm not saying he did. But that's what you call threatening. So in your conversation and communication, don't threaten each other. I'm going to leave. I'm going to get divorced. If you don't do this. So these are ways that we listen, but we don't listen. By minimizing, by threatening, by invalidating, by counterattacking. And so Abraham, as the head of his home, does the right thing. He was hurt, but he took his hurt to God. And God spoke to him. And he said, listen to your wife. Yes, this is the course of action. I will take care of Ishmael, but the seed is what's all important. So as we close, the conclusion is simply this. We must wisely guard our home's greatest treasures. And our greatest treasure in our home is our walk and faith with Jesus Christ. Jesus told worried Mary that Martha hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away. Did I get it right? Did I back to Mary and Martha? I'm getting a mental block on that now. But you know, right? Jesus says she has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. This is what we must guard. Our walk with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus. We must maintain the joy of the Lord in our lives and in our home. We must cast out the mockery of this world against Jesus Christ. Because this world is not a friend of Jesus Christ. Too many of us have allowed the world into our home through the Hollywood and through the internet and through all other kinds of language and activities. We must... Cut that out of our life. Cast it away. This world system is not set up to build up our faith. This world is set up ultimately to destroy our faith in our Savior. So guard the greatest treasure because Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham who came to save us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's stand together as we pray. I'll ask our uh, pianist to come please as we close today. Thank You, Lord, for Your love and Your faithfulness to us. God, You are good. Help us to be discerning towards the spiritual dangers of this life. Help us to have a sensitive spirit to the things that mock You, dear God. And as we sing the song today, if God touches your heart to just come and pray 
If there's things in your life that you need to take strong action against, to cast out, and maybe even with a a grief in your heart, because it's hard for you, but you know this is the step you must take in following the way of God, the Word of God in your life. You step out and come as God has spoken to your heart. Maintain that sensitive spirit. Take strong action. Overcome any stinging pain to hold on to these things that are only going to hinder the work of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God in your life. And then follow God's perfect wisdom. Has God spoken to your heart today that you need to be discerning towards spiritual danger in your life? Just put your hand up to the Lord. And say, yes, Lord, pray for me that I could be discerning to these dangers that are all around me, that I would please you and do that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Help me, Lord, to be filled with your spirit, to take strong action against the things that mock you. Help me to understand your word and what your word is asking me to do. So, Father, please work in our, in our moment of invitation. Dear God, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs to just step out and come, that they would do it. If there's anyone here today who's not born again, if you're not saved, if you're not sure that Jesus Christ is the one who has saved you and set you free. And if you're not trusting in Him alone to save you, come today and meet me right here in the front. We talked about how we, we don't find salvation. We're not saved through even one work that we do. We're not justified or saved through our works or the deeds of our flesh, but through Jesus and His work. If you need Jesus to save you, step out and come as we sing today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are always good.